Today with me, I have a special guest. His name's Justin. Um, he's coming to us from Merlin 3D Studios, and he is here to talk about the design process, uh, basically what goes into making a model. And this will actually, you know, essentially apply to anything we make, you know, the kind of detail that goes into anything we make. So Justin, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi guys, my name is Justin Monaco. I'm the partner and COO of Merlin 3D Studio, which is the parent company for Merlin Models and uh, Pendragon Collection. Um, I've been doing 3D modeling since 2002, and I've uh, been doing it professionally since 2008, so roughly over 15 years of uh, professional 3D modeling. Um, and now I'm doing it here for Merlin. That's perfect. So part of what we're trying to accomplish with the podcast overall is just transparency. I, I, I know I did kind of a play on words with that last week, you know, transparent, like the case is transparent. But as a company, we want to be transparent too. And we want you guys to know exactly what goes into the products that you ultimately end up buying. Uh, we don't want anything to be a, a secret or, you know, we want you to see that we don't cut corners and that mm -hmm. when we say we have attention to detail that we mean it and it's true. So Justin, um, I know you're working on a few things, you know, as far as models mm -hmm. go. Um, do you have anything you want to show? Yeah. So I've been currently working on the Slave One Fire Spray, which is from Star Wars. And um, right now I've just been gathering kit parts that all the kit parts that are involved with the kit and basically taking those kit parts, which are here. Let me give you a reference. Here's one of them. So here is a transmission from a Ferrari 312B, uh, which is one of the detail pieces on the underside of the fire spray. So I've been taking the kit parts like that and basically recreating them in 3D for us to be able to cut and then um, build the model from. So it's almost like we're scratch building the kit, but digitally versus physically. It's a lot cheaper that way too. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, so I take those kit parts and um, what we do is first is we, we scan them in uh, just to kind of get reference points. Uh, the, the, the kits themselves, the, once you scan the pieces in, they're not super detailed they're not accurate i'll show you here in a little bit but um and here's also some b-roll of me scanning the piece um and then you can see me uh using these calipers to really dial in and make sure i get all the details as accurately as possible and that's me taking this kit part and doing the height width and depth of every single little detail of this piece so and that's all the way down to two decimal points with the uh the calipers now, when, when you say kit part, you know, just so I know where we're coming from. So you obviously have a reference that you're using. Uh, where is Where does that reference come from? So the reference uh, we get from either pictures from the what the original kit looked like, or we have uh, some gracious friends that have given us some of their research to be able to let us know which kits we need to buy, um, what parts and stuff we need to get from those kits and then where those kit parts need to be cut so that way we can add them to the actual model itself. Okay. So, so this could be like, just to throw out an example, this could be something from an actual star Wars set, right? So you right, could actually yeah. be referencing like something that was used in the movie. Yes. Yeah, so a bunch of our reference is actually screen used pieces. Uh, some people have taken some really great photos from either uh, Skywalker ranch or from the uh, archives and they've literally taken one of these little, um, here, I'll just use the Bandai Kids reference. They've taken one of the kits like this, or the actual screen used piece, and they've just highly detail focused, like all, they took, take pictures of everything. 
Like they've just gone through and done like a full dive on just like, this is every piece of that model. This is like for every reference piece you can possibly think of. Like, and then they went through and then ID'd those kit parks. Cause that's what ILM did was they used a lot of the old like Tamiya kits and stuff from the seventies and cut them all up and just keep, you know, basically kit bashed to create these, these uh, models. You know, it's kind of funny. Vehicles. So there's a, you know, when you watch the movies, there's a difference in, you know, the seventies when they actually were using physical kits. And then when they went digital later on, it's almost, it sounds like it's almost lucky that they originally did use physical kits because that mm-hmm. gives us great material now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun to be able to like take these kits and build them yourself. Cause I mean, even if you don't have access or the ability to 3d model this stuff, like you can still go buy the kit parts and just, you know, there's tons of forums on the RFP and like on how to like build these out. There's people like just doing like how to's and stuff for be able to scratch build, which is really cool. But we're yeah. going to take it a little bit further and make it a little bit more available for people. So uh, we are digitally making them and building them. So that way we can then uh, cast them for our factory and make them affordable and uh, for people to be able to buy. That's so. perfect. Yeah. So why don't you show us, you know, let's say that you scan something. What does that look like? Sure. So let me share my screen um, and I'll show you. These are the kit parts right now from the Ferrari. I'm currently working on that that set. Of you have to parts. click your screen one more time to get that to pop up. There you there go. go. Okay. Okay. There you go. All right. So these right here are the Ferrari kit parts that I've currently been working on. Um, as you can see here. So these, this is a scanned piece. So as you can see with scanning, what it does is it shoots a point cloud out uh, onto the model and tries to capture the detail using the point cloud, which our scanner is pretty good. But even with it being, you know, a pretty decent scanner, you still get this crazy texture. That's why we don't like to just scan stuff and be like, all right, there we go. We'll put it on the model. Yeah. So you can see that the, the surface of the models themselves, it's really rough. It actually looks like if you've ever bought like a graphics card, and you've got the cardboard inserts that are holding it in place. It almost looks like something like that. It does look um, like that. Yeah, now that you yeah. mentioned it, that's funny. So yeah, it's really rough. The surface is rough, but you got you basically get you know dimensions and yeah, you get the like rough dimensions. Yeah, yeah, so you get the rough dimensions. You get the little so you get your reference points essentially. Um, mainly things like I usually scan stuff for like either it's like crazy detail like this, just so I can kind of make sure I get close enough to the reference point. Because some of these, like, you know, this has a very particular curve to the part right here. You may not be able to see my my mouse. Um, but there's a particular curve to this one versus this one. You see they're, they're oh, yeah. two completely different pieces. But I just wanted to scan it in so that way I could at least have a reference on how that curve actually is approximated. And it's really good for big pieces like this where you have a really big curve and you want to make sure you get that accurate or as close to accurate as possible. Oh, that's perfect. Um, yeah. So, but here's, so here's the wing and then you can see the difference with uh, my version of the wing. So my version is a lot cleaner. It's a lot more accurate to the actual kit part itself. You know, you even get the, because there are relief lines that are from the mold, but you can see, I get that same curve going in oh, yeah. this, this piece. I mean, the, the, the detail and you basically all that weird texture is gone. So you can see all that stuff that you refined. You know, this brings up kind of a funny point, you know, something that, that's been in the media this week. So the the open AI company that's behind like ChatGPT and Dolly and things like that, they're working on basically doing text to 3D modeling. And what they're doing is just what you showed. So you can input text and then have it create a point cloud of what you described. And I think, you know, people are sitting there going, 
know, does this mean that we don't need 3D artists in the future? You know, is this just going to make stuff? And and what you showed there is actually a really good example of you know why a point cloud is not enough to have a, a finished product that's ready to produce or use in something. Right. There's always going to be some sort of uh, human interaction or finalization to be able to take that point cloud data. Even with a uh, super high end scanner, you're still not going to get like this level of detail, like super clean lines. I mean, all of my stuff is very nice and clean geometry, which makes it even easier for, uh, you know, printing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good pieces. point. Okay. So, so let's talk about that. So now you've got, you know, you, you started with your 3d scan, you refined it. Um, so where do you go from there? So once you go from, once you get all the kit parts made, so what we do is we look at the reference and we see where that piece has been cut. Cause like take this piece, for instance, um, I built, you know, most of the piece, I didn't build the whole piece out because it was, there was no need to add all that extra stuff. Cause I knew this piece is going to be cut. So this is part of the wing detail on the slave one. And, uh, the, it actually, <laughs> I built this much out, but I even, I didn't even need to build that much out. Cause basically it just cuts off just the top vent, uh, which is just this little piece. So you don't even see the sides or anything, but I wanted to build out as much as I could just so we had it there for a future reference uh, for another kit that may use more of that piece. Um, so once we get those kit parts cut, then we basically, it's like Legos, you start building it out. Like we have the shell of the piece and we start adding in all the details to it, um, which I can show you now. Let me, let me jump over to my next uh, kit. Um, this is a previous kit that we did. Oh yeah, I recognize that. This is the Ralph McQuarrie X-Wing, which actually was built off of um, reference, uh, 2D reference, with a little kit parts added to it. Um, but I wanted to show this off just so way you can kind of see a completed kit um, and kind of what it looks like. It's a little bit heavier geometry. Yeah, so when we say geometry, it's how many um, polygons. Like polygons go into something? Yeah. Right. Oh, so. yeah, you can see all the just amazingly intricate detail that goes into those right and then you can see here's a bunch of kit parts you know that were cut to fit it uh, this is a kit part for a vent um even the wings like this is a kit part uh, but a lot of this also was like a, a little bit of like my own version along with the reference so because you know you only get a two here let me show you so here's the reference that this was built from oh wow so it's basically just a 2D drawing. You can kind of see all the detail and um, there's a little bit of creative liberties that were taken to finish it out. Well, and you can tell that you kind of have to because you know with a, yeah. a static image from a, just a very specific angle like that, you have mm -hmm. to you know guess a bit at, as to what the other sides of things look like and right, yeah, for sure. And then here's another uh, here's the back end that we kind of got a shot from. Okay. So you can see the pontoons on the bottom right here. I added those in. Um, oops. Oops, pontoons right here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a nice touch. Um, then, uh, you know, like I even added like the guns right here. These You couldn't really see it in the reference, but I know there was some sort of guns. I actually took the gun. This is actually the guns off of the, uh, the Delta 7. Uh, model kit. Oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah, that's actually a um, cool detail too. Because I noticed a lot of things like they uh, they used to like to use a lot of the same pieces, which makes sense because if you already have it on in hand, you know, might as well uh, 
you know, reuse it for other things. So that way, since it's already cut. But here, let's take a little dive into the cockpit. So actually, first, let's do um, the R2 unit. Yeah, just you know, it's amazing because this is a this is a fairly compact model when you buy it, and the amount of detail that goes even mm -hmm. into the little pieces is pretty astounding. Oh yeah, so let's let's look at the R two unit. So he's very small, but you can kind of see I put a lot of detail into him to get him as close to the reference as I could. And let me bring up the reference real quick. I'm sorry, I had it but I accidentally closed it. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, here you go. Here's the reference for R2. Oh, so very this, cool. This is the R2 that I used. Um, was taken from one of the uh, Chronicles book, I believe, or one of the, the the concept sketchbooks that they had. So this looks like this is actually a hand-drawn reference, you know, 2D hand-drawn reference. Right, yes. So this was a 2D hand-drawn reference. Um, but you can is see this from the is this from the seventies? You know when this one came from? I think this was from yeah from the early seventies. This is like pre uh, episode four. Okay. So this was them trying to figure out like what they wanted everything to look like, and I I knew there was an R two unit on this this uh, vehicle, but I didn't know like which one. So I tried to find something that was around the same sketches um, for this, and I think there's a. We've got a little bit of Joe Johnson too, because uh, Joe Johnson and Ralph McQuarrie they worked together to create the vehicles and stuff for um, the Star Wars. And I figured like this was as close as I could think of for what R two would possibly look like for like this style of uh, X-wing. Right. Well, so, he's so iconic. You know, he's one of the you know one of the elements that is continued through. I think every film is he in every film. I, I believe he's in every film. Yeah, yeah, so he's a centerpiece. Got to get yeah, that right. The centerpiece, but I didn't want to go and just be like, "Oh, I'll just recreate the regular R two unit that you normally see." I wanted to go with more of like the original styling that they had. Right, because it's an evolution. Which... Right. Right. Yeah. So um, I did that for him, and I felt like he fits pretty well. He actually kind of fits with the theme of the the X wing itself. And then uh, let's look at the cockpit real quick. So the cockpit was taken also from drawings. Um, I have here's one of the drawings, I believe. Um, Joe Johnson did these drawings. That's very cool. Um, in, in conjunction with the X-Wing. Like, so this, this, is another, this is another hand-drawn 2D drawing. Yes, this is another hand-drawn piece. Um, here's another back. Can I give you some detail of some All right. so cockpit see, interiors? Yeah, so looks like uh, some sort of motor or engine sitting behind the pilot. Yeah, like some sort of like life, life support system. Yeah, that, that, that's a good way to put it, yeah. Um, is what it seems like, and then uh, so I tried, I did my best to kind of recreate all that. So we'll take this, take the cockpit off, and then you can kind of see the cockpit itself. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a dead ringer for it. Oh, sorry, I tried to do my best in recreating the the sketches as best as I could. Well, and that's the thing, you know, with. With just a, a, you know, as detailed as the hand sketch is, that's still a far cry from 3D. So, you know, the amount of expertise that goes into making something from that is really cool. Yeah, you can kind of see how to try to add as many little dials. Like, it's not, I still had to, when I was building this, I still had to think of it like this has to be cast. 
<laughs> right, so, right. Like, you had to go in. There's a lot of like you can see there's some infilling underneath all these pipes and stuff because you can't do any overhangs when you're casting parts. So also had to think of like how this was going to be cut apart, and uh, you know a, little, a lot of things goes into uh, engineering these pieces. So you can even see our pilot is very similar to the Joe Johnson uh, sketch that we had uh, right here. See? Oh yeah. Yeah, you can definitely see the inspiration there. Yeah. So, very close. But we also kind of took a little colorful of creative liberties just to make sure it kind of fills it out. And I think it turned out very well. I'm really, I'm really, really happy with this piece. And it looks even better in person. Yes. So, and then a little fun thing. So we'll... Okay. So, so let's take it a step further. So we've got this, you know, as far as you can tell, it's perfected. Now, do you go, you know, print this out on a 3D printer first to get a feel for it in person? Or, you know, where do you go from here? All right. So once we get the, the model all completely built and we're really happy with it, it looks really good. It renders very well. And I get all the engineering done to be like, okay, I know this needs to be cut. Like, here's one piece. You know, we have the main piece down here. Like, it's all cut up into different pieces for the kit. Uh, then what we do is we do uh, SLA 3D printing to basically build the prototype of this to make sure everything like the tolerances and stuff fit right. Um, and then make sure everything looks good and transitions well. Cause there was one thing during the learning process of building these. It's like, how deep do we need to make the panel lines for them to actually show up for um, printing? You know, that was kind of like a oh, learning right. process on how that was. Uh, now, when he says learning process, you know, keeping in mind that printing a 3d piece might take three or four hours. So every time you iterate or test, you know, this is very time consuming. Yeah. I think one of these pieces, let's see, I think just the cockpit fuselage right here alone took 36 hours to print. Oh, see, I'm way off. <laughs> uh, a lot of the smaller pieces will take, you know, a couple hours. And then luckily with the, if you have a big enough build plate, you can, you know, build, you know, 10 or 12 pieces at once. Uh, but a lot of the bigger pieces like this, like that takes up the whole build plate. And then you're like, well, that's going to take two days, three days. <laughs> Yeah. So, but uh, as you can see, I even put a little animation here to be able to show the mechanism for the wings opening and closing, which there is a a mechanism inside that you the wings just plug into. That's very um, cool. for yeah. you. Well, that's a, that's an iconic detail. I can see that. You know oh, why yeah. you did that. So, but um, anyway, so once we get the prototyping done, um, everything looks good. Uh, we actually print and sometimes even uh, we print it all out. Everything looks good. Then we will do. Um, Ethan will paint it. To kind of show it off and then we start taking our pictures and stuff but then once everything is all set and good we're happy with everything we send it to our factory to get the wax masters made um and then once the max wax masters are made everything looks good then they will mold them uh with using our plastic so a wax master now is, is that a mold itself or is that just a wax copy of each piece so essentially it's a wax copy of of the 3d file itself and it's it's made with wax so that way they can go back through and do any kind of polishing that needs to happen. So like sometimes if there's like just a slight, um, it's pretty much the cleanup. It makes the cleanup easier being wax. It's like a really hard wax too. It's not like your typical candle wax. Um, but once they get the wax master made, then they go and will uh, create the molds using that wax master, and then then start creating the first production runs or the artist proofs with the. Uh, plastic that we use for our kits. Got it. And so the now the plastic, you know, in contrast to like uh, a 3D print, you know, what what makes the other plastics different? 
So the difference between our plastic and other plastics or your typical resins is resin is very brittle. Um, you can drop the piece, even 3D resin. Like they have some that are like tougher, but they're still a kind of brittle compared to like regular plastic. Um, our stuff is actually kind of like a polyurethane type plastic. So it's got a nice you know, durability. It's still rigid, but it is more of a, along the plastic side. So it's still rigid, but it's also um, strong enough to be able to like absorb a, a, if you drop it or something. You, know, you can watch a shatter on you like a 3D print would. So none of these are like it's just it's far beyond like the quality. It's not ABS level of, of like durability, but it's it's very very good. And then um, so like take for instance, um, I don't know if Ethan talked about this uh, previously. Whenever we talk do anything like uh, that's long and narrow like this, uh, we usually cast or make those out of metal, um, just that way we don't have to worry about. It's all about longevity. We want to make these kits last for like decades. So that's why we use the really high end plastic uh, polyurethane material and all of our like kind of small pieces are either ABS or they're made from uh, aluminum and they're milled. So like the, the gun barrels are here, all aluminum. So that way you don't have to worry about them sagging over time. You know, it's just, it's, it's just a, as high end as we can possibly make for the consumers. It sounds like all we need is an engine, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to be able to try and fly this. <laughs> okay, that's very cool. So yeah. so basically, you know, that's the process they make their their molds. Now I know um when Adam Savage took a look at the ATAT model, mm-hmm. um, he noted that we don't use our molds quite as often. Can you elaborate on that? Correct, yes. So in order to keep so when you're molding a part. Um, a lot of companies or previous people that have done garage kits, they usually will make one mold and then just use it until the mold is dead. But if you do that, the over time, the mold will degrade and then you get, it gets very muddy. So all this super clean, crisp detail you see right here will eventually fade away into like just little blobs. Um, and that's one thing that me and Ethan did not want uh, for our kits. We So what we do is every 10 to 12 ca- or 10 to 12 mold pools, uh, we make new molds. So, and what that does is that will ensure that all of our kit pieces are just pristine, pristine and crisp every time they come out. So everyone has the exact same level of um, crispness to their kit parts. Yeah. And you can tell, I mean, as you zoom in and look at all these fine details, it's really clear that, you know, any deviation from that is going to degrade it. So it's, yeah, we really want those details to stand out. Right. And like, it was crazy is like, you know, this part is honestly it's tiny. It's very tiny. But with the way we do our mold system stuff, you can see every little panel line. It's insane. Like I was actually kind of blown away by this one because like these little wires right here are like, I don't know, 0.1 of a milli- millimeter, 0.01 of a millimeter in thickness and stuff, but you can actually see them on the casted piece. It's like, it's that's it's amazing. Phenomenal. I mean, it's gotta be such a cool experience to, you know, to number one, go through and, you know, make this on a computer, but then to see it actually, you know, manufactured into a physical thing. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it is the greatest thing ever is getting the, the kit that you've worked months on and being able to hold it in your hands. And you're just like, wow, like, I was blown away. I was like, I would really love the ATAT and how it turned out, but like, I'm really blown away by the level of detail that this one turned out. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, you can see it. It's just, it's fantastic, man. 
I can't wait to see what our like our ATSTs look like because those were even like I took even more time painstakingly making those kit parts. Like I think I took three months uh total building the ATAT, like a month and a half or two months of just like you know 10 12 hour days of just building yeah. kit parts and making sure they were per- they had to be perfect. So those are okay. So yeah, let's let's dig into models. So um this one that you're showing us, this is something you can buy right now. Uh, yes, you can go on our website and uh, pre-order this one. So that's going to be Merlin uh, Merlin go models. MerlinModels.com. Mm-hmm. And you can pre-order this one. Uh, we are currently also have the um, the Return of the Jedi uh, ATST is also available for pre-order, and so is the ESB um, ATST. Um, and they also have the Imperial Shuttle too that Ethan made. Ethan made the Imperial Shuttle on that one, and I helped out with some a lot of the kit parts. And uh, that great. one's available. For we should be actually receiving the Imperial shuttle back from our factory any day now, actually within this week or next week. So I'm so excited to see that. So you can start going week. through those parts and actually experiencing that in person. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's huge too. It's, it's the full studio scale. So this is going to be even bigger than the, the, the X-Wing right here. The X-Wing is uh scale wise is one twenty fourth. Uh yeah. by the way, just for a point of reference. So, but yeah, oh, I'm, I'm excited, man. That's cool. It's been and, a lot of fun. Yeah, this we'll have to do a video like this with Ethan where he digs into the actual um yeah, the actual display cases too. Mm-hmm. Because you know, a lot of this stuff that you're doing here, this applies to how the display case was modeled and built too. Correct. The same level of, of detail and testing and, and everything goes into that. Mm-hmm. So I can I can give a little update on the cases real quick, you know, for those that are following that. Um really really close to releasing final numbers on what they'll cost i know a lot of you are asking for that and you want to know um and we want to share um we're really close um this last week we finished a a final design element for the the pop out um front of the case so we got that basically confirmed and and fully designed mm-hmm. and i don't think we're aware of anything that has to be altered or redesigned at this point so we're we're kind of in the same process that he just talked about where we want to take our designs, get the factory to actually produce um, like a test or a model that we can then review and make sure that it's what we thought it was. Um, so we're, we're just going to do that on the case, um, make sure that the, the final, well, I guess we can call it a master maybe, you know, the final revision uh, or what Final artist proof, make sure that's, yeah, that's go. good to go. Um, everything looks like we want it to look and we're happy with it. Then it'll go right. to the factory with the thumbs up to go ahead and start producing them. Yep, absolutely. So really, really close to that being done. And so kind of the flow from there is that once we have reviewed the final physical product and we're like, okay, this checks all our boxes, meets our quality requirements, um, then we'll go ahead and talk about the official pricing. And um, I'd say right now we're probably, you know, Again, you know, we're still a couple of variables in, but we're on track to be launching on Kickstarter, you know, as early as the first week of March, give or take. Mm-hmm. So we were really excited about that. Um, and then going back to what he was talking about with the with the actual Merlin 3D Studio models, um, there are quite a few of those that are available to order right now um, with yep. all of that detail and all of that effort that's gone into them. And and like you said, you have 36 hours of printing per part to test it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it ends up by the time we get done the process of printing it and doing all the tests and then you know making tweaks and reprinting it, it's about about a month's worth of work. 
just to do all the finalization of the kit before we send it to the factory. So see, that's kind of work though. Like the the design work, you know, that's super intricate. Waiting for prints, I can get into that kind of work. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then uh, you know, I, I guess you know because you haven't been on the show before, we'll we'll talk about um, sure. you know just fun stuff. So yeah. like I said, um, this week the the uh, OpenAI Corporation you know ta- started uh, releasing demos of their cloud printing or their their cloud point printing mm-hmm. software, which is um you know I, I played with it a little bit. It's a really interesting proof of concept. I mean, from everything you know about the the 3D industry. Can you see AI you know, matching what we're doing at some point? I mean, maybe way down the line, but I don't think it's going to be anything we're going to have to worry about because there's always going to be a need for a human interaction because there's there's always it's never going to be perfect. So there's always going to be need some sort of human interaction to make sure those pieces are tweaked or adjusted and then you know looked at because it. it there's, it's all about a there's a difference between a human and just a, you know an AI as far as like building a 3d piece sometimes like it'll get close but it doesn't look just right you have to have the kind of like that 3d eye or the, the the eye to be able to like adjust it's very minute adjustments to be like okay that looks as if it's 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 a one-to-one yeah you know? I was reading um yeah there's a there's a funny thing where <laughs> a lot of the current AIs really struggle with making fingers. And there was an interview that was actually done with one of the AIs and, and, you know, they asked him like, Hey, you make such accurate and high quality faces. Why do you guys struggle with fingers? And the AI mm-hmm. said, well, a couple things, you know, one is that with a finger, you've got so many bending points, so many articulating points that we have to get right, you know, and on scale, and with a face, you don't have quite as many of those. And then he's like, and then if we're being honest, you know, the the engineers that made me cared more about faces. <laughs> um, it's usually what they do. But it, it's interesting. I, I think if I was going to take a stab at it from from what I know and how I experience art, it would be to say that art has always been about expression of the artist, right? Yep. So if, if you paint something, you're, yes, the soul of art. You know, if you yeah. paint something, you know, that's the artist, artist communicating something through a medium mm-hmm. and you can apply that to 3d art or, you know, flat Absolutely. art or whatever you want. And I feel like even though AI, even now, you know, like, like Dolly is an awesome example can make just fantastic looking pieces. You know, you know that the AI didn't have heart and it, and that the, it they wasn't feel an different. expression. Yeah. It, it doesn't yeah, feel the same. It's, it feels robotic or cold. Like you don't feel, I don't know. Yeah, you can definitely tell the difference between like an AI generated artwork versus like an actual artist who spent hours and hours and hours building that piece. You know, I feel like I can too. I still feel like I can compare them, and it's yeah. not a it's not a quality thing. You know, the well, AI is really just, close in, in terms of quality. Something it's about just, it, it just doesn't feel right. I don't know. It's, I th- well, maybe it's because we know. You know, maybe it's because maybe. we know that there was no spirit or soul behind this piece that yeah. the AI, AI was not trying to express something. The AI was just saying, oh, my goal is to make you know these pixels look like this because I was told to. Right. And there's something that feels different about that. Yeah. Yep, I agree. I mean, it's... it's Especially with 3D modeling, like I don't think that's, that's going to happen for a long time, just mainly because like you have the three-dimensional aspect of it, 
um that's a lot of like having to move the model around and like tweak it but like so take this one the Rappaport x-wing for instance like i put a little bit of myself into that by like okay i feel like this needs to be here like this kit part needs to be here the panel line needs to go like this um this to me feels like something that like i would want to see you know in my heart like what this kit or model would have on it or vehicle part would have on it so there's a lot of more i guess like the feeling in it whereas right. like if it was an ai trying to do it it would just be like it just grab reference points and just throw it on there and like you can tell the difference between uh someone that like meticulously goes through something and puts it on there puts a like a, a kit or a model together versus just someone just grabbing stuff here and there and then just <laughs> kit part bashing yeah. it you're just um, like, oh, well, you know, sometimes it's a little too much. And then I don't feel like AI is can, we're going to be able to grasp that for a while. Now, I could see it being useful maybe as a an artist tool. So, like, you know, we saw those mm-hmm. 2D images of the X-Wing that you used as a reference. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see, you know, saying, hey, AI, show me what this angle of this flat image would look like in your opinion. Oh, that would be and, fantastic. Yeah, to get yeah, perspective and seeing, from that. You know, use awesome. it as a reference to say, okay. I'm not just going to copy the AI, but you know, now I can see some like bends and stuff that that naturally should be there. You know, see right. what the flow of the curves and stuff should look like from this angle. Like I can see that being useful as an artist reference that the artist then takes and says, "Okay, you know, this helps me to be accurate for this or whatever." Right. Yeah. Like if it was like if there was an AI that controlled the scanning to make the scans a little bit better, like you get your point cloud. Yeah. And basically the AI, instead of it just being like, here's a, you know, a mishmash of all the points. And I, I grouped those, uh, or spread the points out to where they touched each other. And then you get the 3d model. If it could, t- if the AI could take that reference data from the point cloud and then like make it more, maybe even with a picture as a reference or something to be able to like smooth everything out or kind of make it a little bit nicer. That would be kind of, mm-hmm. kind of nice. That would save a lot of time. Um, it would save a lot of time uh, versus me having to like go back through and then, you know, spend i think this guy's gonna take about three to four hours to make yeah um you know stuff like that that could save me you know an hour or two that'd be great yeah it's um, interesting you know and i think um i, I think I, I like to look at things like this you know like computers and you know ai or whatever i like to look at them as tools and say how can i use yeah. this tool um where i think that the perspective that other people might have sometimes is saying you know, I want this AI to be as good as me. Uh, yeah, and, I don't think that's um, ever gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I I can't say I never well, say never, but never, but it, it's not gonna happen for I feel like for a while. Like I, I yeah. like I agree. I think doing it using an AI is like a tool to help ease your life a little bit better, so that way it's it's kind of like a content aware in Photoshop. Yeah, you know that has been a huge time saver. And before you had to like sit there and like. uh you know, copy little pieces and blend it all together and do a, like, it took like, you know, 20, 30 minutes to an hour to do a little, you know, patch fill if you want to get something out of there. Whereas now you can just content aware and it takes the surrounding stuff and then fills and does that work for you. That's a huge time saver. And it uses a little bit of the AI trickery to kind of figure that out. Like, I think that's a great use case for AI tools for things like that. Yeah, that's, you know, imagine, you know, taking 3D Studio Max and looking for those little opportunities to say, you know, how can we take a mundane task off of the artist's hands so that the author can, or the artist can just be in it, you know, can just start expressing, you know, that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing would be uh, some upgraded Boolean tools and stuff like that to be able to get those to work properly 
or perfectly would be really great. Or even uh, I noticed one thing that needs to be improved on that a lot of 3D programs don't do too well on is uh, 3D painting, you know, to do your uh, material and stuff like that. Uh, you have to take the 3D model and unwrap it into a 2D, uh, essentially a 2D map for you to be able to paint on. Uh, it'd be great if they had some better tools to be able to like, so you could just paint directly on it. Um, there's a couple of them out there, but they're not like great. You still have to do UV unwrapping for it to like know where to put the paint down on. Mm-hmm. So I could, I would love to see some sort of like future tool for AI to be able to do all that. So that way, instead of having like gray models, we can actually like sit down and like paint the models on, on our thing to show off for the rendering. So it'd be great. Now I know you, uh, we've talked about VR together a little bit. Um, have you tried any of the VR apps that let you, you know, model or create in 3D space? Yeah, I, I did the one of the 3D paints. I think uh, I think Google released one that was like a 3D painting mm-hmm. um, tool uh, a couple of years ago, and it works pretty good. It's a little bit more at the time. It was kind of low poly, just because at, you know the the 3D headsets at the around that time didn't have the ability to be able to process uh, 3D geometry like that because it's very I mean, essentially, that's what it is. It's doing. It's using three D geometry and a three dimensional space to uh, paint to the paint strokes and stuff like that. So you get this really cool look, but eventually, once you get to like a huge painting or you know a certain point in your painting, that's a lot of polygons on the screen. Yeah. So yeah, that is, that is um, it gets a little stuttery. So, but I could see it. Uh, there's been a another tool. I forgot. I can't remember the name of the developer. Um, that it's basically like working with clay. So you, you can like work with like a clay ball and it's like in front of you. It's been really cool for like you have like these little tools and you can swap out different like tool tips to basically mold a clay. It's kind of like ZBrush essentially for uh, VR, uh, which is was pretty cool. Um, but I mean, being in the VR for that long and trying to model something like that, it's definitely, you get tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think like, and you know, we look at some of these future technologies, you know, maybe we can call that the theme of our conversation, you know, future technologies yeah. and say, you know, is this ever, you know, or should it replace traditional methods for this? Should it replace the 2D desktop? And um, I, I, I can't say I'm convinced because like you said, um, yeah. you know, that's been my experience in VR is that you're not in a relaxed position necessarily while you're doing it. It's very True. physical instead of just moving your fingers, you're moving your whole yeah. body. And I think um, it depends on the person too. You know, some people love being very active while they're moving around, yeah. and you yeah, know, some of us probably need to be more expressive. active while we're moving around. True, <laughs> yeah, maybe that would. But help. like for me, I just like to relax. Like it, building all these kit parts is very relaxing for me. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of work, but at the same time, it's like it's like my bread and butter that I like to just. I just well, it's like your it's your stuff. you know eight to twelve every day sort of thing. Right, but it's it, as far as like modeling wise like I, I would like to just i like just sitting down and just taking this piece and making it into a digital piece like that's that's fun for me yeah you know so yeah, i know I think, this is not um, fun for some people but like for me right. like I, I love being able to take something that's physical and turn it into digital and then bring it back into physical <laughs> it's just it's such a, a very surreal feeling and are just like that's cool I made this. Well, no, I can say, um, like I said in the last episode, um, I've personally started getting into 3D printing just for myself, just for fun. And you're right. There is an absolute wow factor to taking something digital, even though like I'm not the 3D artist, so I didn't you know, create the models. But even just taking something like that and actually like holding it in your hands later is cool. You know, I can't imagine like actually being the creator and then 
doing the same <laughs> thing. That's got to be awesome. It is it is definitely really cool. Yeah, and the great thing about 3D printing too is like you can take stuff that like once wasn't available to you or like no one has a, a toy or anything out there for and then usually someone online has made the model or done a, a build of that and you can print it for yourself. It's kind we'll of a, see. you know, uh, it's, it's cool to be able to get stuff that's not available on the average for the average thing or wasn't available before to be able to now be able to print it yourself and, you know, play with it or like, a, like Halo stuff. Like it's a video game. And they didn't really have much a lot of a lot of Halo like action figures or toys other than like the Legos and stuff like that. But it's cool mm-hmm. to be able to like go on like Thingiverse or Cults and download a Warthog and then you just pop it on the 3D printer and like boom, I have a Warthog and I can scale it to whatever size I want, you know? Absolutely. Well, and I had fun. So I noticed, you know, so when I was a kid, um, GI Joes were really big, you know, in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And I remember you know, being younger that I was actually more interested in the little guns that came with them than I was the actual GI Joe. Mm. And so I was thinking about that uh, a couple of weeks ago you know, with my son. I was like, you know what? I was like, I bet he'd like some little guns. You know, that'd be fun. Right. So I went on a, on a spree and just printed like 10 little guns and swords and stuff for him. And they turned out amazing, like flawless. And I gave them to him. Nice. And uh, the other day um, I snuck up while he was playing in the living room and I caught him sitting there with all the guns spread out on the table playing with forks. I'm like, dude, I don't understand you. But kids, man, it, you know, it just creates the cool potential. Um, you know, yeah. almost anything that you can dream, you know, that fits on your build plate, you can try to make. Oh yeah, and that's been really cool. You know, it, it makes you, it sparks creativity and say, you know, what can I make? Right. Yeah, and you can also make tools with it too. Like I have a couple of uh, like light holders and stuff on my desk that were made with 3D printing. I have a my uh, Cobb access port for my car is. The, the mount for it that goes into the car was 3d printed yeah. so because they don't make one like it's not you can't just like make one from the factory so it's like well let's let's take that vent that was a vent and turn the vent into a, an actual holder now so now it's a vent and a holder i mean you can't yeah there's um, crazy there's a there's a table tennis game on the oculus um called 11 11 table tennis mm-hmm. and they let you 3d print a table tennis paddle holder that holds the remote and then they actually even support it in the game. So if you use it and print it, you can go in the game settings and say, Hey, I'm using this. And it changes the offset of like, you know, where you're actually hitting and where the ball is to, you know, have a virtual paddle. That's awesome. Um, It's cool. No, I saw that and I was like, Oh, you know, you think about, you know, any Xbox accessory, you're like, Oh, I guess I'm going down to Walmart to go get that compared to like the freedom that just creating something creates. Oh yeah, you can make your own accessories. So like I know they have even for like uh, bone works and stuff like that, you can get the uh basically you can print uh they have plans for you to be able to print uh like gun stocks and stuff that put your controllers into it. So it feels like you're holding the rifle, but it's you know, it's just your controllers. But it it, it makes you it gives it it gives you that fake illusion of like you're actually holding something like that versus you having to hold yeah. your arms up randomly and you're like, Oh, my arms are like this. Now it feels like a solid piece that you're like, yeah, this feels good. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, VR is just the, the perfect opportunity because you know, it fades away. It, it's, it's all tactile at that yeah. point. Yeah, exactly. It's the, the tactile feels, that's a great word uh, to get that, that feeling in the VR, the, to separate you and put you into the virtual space. And, and then you're chasing that, that all important presence. You know, you want your presence to, you know, yeah. to experience that in each thing. 
Exactly. So we, we strayed a little bit from modeling, but <laughs> a little bit, but it's all right. It's, it's all that's fun. What we're here for It's You know, I think part of, part of having the podcast like this is allowing people to see that we, you know, what we're passionate about and mm-hmm. what we do and, you know, what drives us to create the products that they end up getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we have to go off and talk about ourselves and what interests us, I'm okay with yeah, it. We're all, we're all nerds here. Yeah, we are. We are for sure. <laughs> like we were even talking, um, we're probably going to, I spun up a Valheim server and we're going to play that later today. Oh yeah. That'll be a lot of fun. Can't wait. All right. I think we're out of time for this episode. So, um, you know, stay tuned. Uh, we absolutely recommend that you subscribe to whatever platforms you want to listen to. You can find us on Spotify. We are on Apple podcasts. We're on Amazon podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, we're on YouTube. If you want to watch the video version of this and you can get all of that on pendragoncollection.com as well. And until next time, my name is Josh, he's Justin, and we'll see you later. See you guys.